0: Welcome to the Academic Revolution Podcast, where we are creating a movement to change the future of academic medicine forever. I'm Inga Hoffman, a Harvard-trained pediatric hematologist, oncologist, and a passionate leadership coach with over 20 years of experience in academic medicine. This is the first podcast for academic physicians that will show you how to achieve higher productivity, become an impactful leader, and create a highly successful career doing what you love without sacrificing your personal life. You and I know that the traditional system is broken, so it's time to say no to the old publish or perish mentality and say yes to lasting change. Join me as we transform academic medicine from the inside out, one physician at a time, starting right here with the Academic Revolution Podcast. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Academic Revolution Podcast. I'm your host, Inga Hoffman. I'm excited. To dive right into part two of our discussions on how to run effective meetings. Before I got started, I initially said I'm probably going to do a two-part conversation, but it turns out I think there's a lot more to unpack. So it's probably going to be three, actually probably four episodes because this is powerful stuff. And when we talk about running effective meetings, meetings that are powerful, well, it can save you Hours per week. And that is a powerful statement for a busy academic physician or somebody in healthcare just like you. Now, This lesson is straight from pillar number two, leadership identity for my unique physician success DNA method. Again, if you're not sure what that is, go all the way back to the beginning of this podcast and I dive more into the three pillars you need to master for your physician success in academic medicine or in medicine in general, I would say. Okay, let's dive right in. At the outset, I mentioned that I wondered if you have ever been in a meeting that was kind of a complete waste of time, where you felt like you had just a lot of conversations that led really nowhere and the meeting ran all over the place. But the root cause for this is often very simple. It is a lack of expectation. And in this episode, we're going to talk all about setting the right expectations for your meeting so your meeting can be successful. Specifically, it values everybody's time. You get things done and accomplished that you set out to do. And also people actually enjoy being in those meetings. You felt like, whoa, we really been productive today. That feels so good. So we're going to talk about all those aspects and how to set up the meeting in the right way in regards to expectations. Before we dive into far, I just want to remind you of the prior episode. And if you have not listened to that, I would highly encourage you to go back to episode number 38, where we talked about setting up the meeting in the correct way. We talked about the things that need to happen before the meeting ever occurs, including preparation, determine who needs to be in the room, and determine the duration of the meeting. So let's dive in and talk about setting expectations, step two, of running effective meetings. So I want to give you two key steps that you should be taking in order to set the right expectations for the meeting and make it a success. And a lot of these steps, again, happen actually before the meeting occurs or right at the outside out of the meeting that everybody is very clear on what is going to happen. So the first one is that I want you to be very clear to define the win. And part of that happens before you, again, even start the meeting or begin or when you invite people. You want to be very clear in your head what success for this meeting actually looks like. I always like this quote, keeping the end in mind from Steve Covey and then work Backwards*. What would a successful meeting look like? Ask yourself the question, what at the end of our time together here after 30, 45 minutes, What would success look like? If you cannot answer that question, that means you are lacking clarity yourself what you actually want from the meeting. So you might want to dive deeper and really drill down on what is one success point? What is an end point you're looking for? So that's critically important. In fact, that is something I encourage you to do way before you ever schedule the meeting again so you have clarity and can communicate that to the people you're actually inviting. They will really appreciate it and they will be excited because they know, oh, we're going to meet about this. And if we, at the end of our time together, we will have accomplished X, Y, Z and move the needle forward on this research project or this clinical improvement program, whatever it might be. The other part of defining the win is being very clear what type of meeting is required to accomplish this outcome or this goal. We talked in the last session a little bit about the different types of meetings you can have. You can have a strategic meeting where you do strategic planning. You can have a decision-making meeting where you say, here are a bunch of pathways we can do. We need to drive decisions towards these questions for our team. Maybe it's a brainstorming meeting where the end is not quite as well defined, but still, you should have something at the end of a brainstorming session. Perhaps you have identified five potential action items or things you could explore further. That's often something in the early stages of a strategic meeting uh, or problem solving, etc. So be clear what type of meeting is actually required to accomplish your goal and success for this meeting. And then the last part is having clear expectation and clarify who needs to be in the room. Now, in step one, you should have carefully considered who you're going to actually invite to the meeting. And I want you to kind of revisit that that list of people and say, are these the right people based on their roles, expertise, uh, perhaps network and connection, to have in the room for this particular goal and agenda for this meeting. And that's really important because you probably have all experienced that there's people that have great experience, but perhaps they are not the greatest communicator or you need somebody's skill level or perhaps leadership in the hospital, but maybe they're not as good in some other aspects of this problem that needs to be solved. So you really need to make sure you have good understanding of the different stakeholders in the room and understand why they're in the room. And then also have some good expectation for yourself that goes into the preparation step, perhaps, that you understand the characteristics of these people. Can they handle quick shifts in a meeting? What kind of characteristics do they have in meetings? are these are these the people that you know talk a lot um, versus are these more the quiet people that you have to be uh, engaging? Are there people that are going to be likely oppositional to the agenda or oppositional to other people 's opinions in the room? You need to get a very good feel what the dynamics are to prepare well for the meeting. And again, set the expectation clearly. And then you want to actually communicate these expectations, what success looks like, what kind of meeting you're having, what the desired outcome is, and why people are in the room and what the expectation from each individual is at the outset of the meeting. That is really important. And when it comes to introductions, it's actually important to share why a particular person is in the room. I remember many years ago, I was awarded a very, very big grant. It was challenge grant, the first challenge grants rolled out by the NIH, I was a very young junior faculty member. um, And I was excited. This was my baby. This was my research project. I was excited that it got funded by the NIH and under the mentorship of my mentors. And uh, because a lot of money—one million dollar—was at stake, and there was a lot of fear, and also confusion around the regulations and the stipulations, how the money needed to be spent, at what, uh, at what rate, at what pace, that people wanted to get very uh, together very quickly and have a good understanding how we're going to roll this out. It was my grant application I submitted, although under my mentor's name, but it was sort of my research baby project. And I still remember to this day how I felt coming to this room of very senior leaders and a lot of people I didn't know, faces I didn't know, and feeling uncertain. As a leader of the meeting, the person who facilitated, led that meeting, it would have been very helpful to everyone in the room to actually either introduce the people in the room and be very specific why they're having a seat at the table. It would have felt a lot more at ease for everybody else, including at the time myself, so that we are not wondering, why is this person in the room? And this was a very personal experience that stuck with me because I felt very uncomfortable. And obviously also I was a bit scared. What's going to happen? Uh, what's going to happen to this grant, which was my insecurity at the time, but it could have been easily alleviated and made for a much better productive discussion If everybody would have been introduced and people wouldn't have been just invited and we weren't sure, why do they have a seat at the table for this specific meeting, that specific day? And I think that happens a lot of times when meetings get set up, that people aren't certain what this particular person's actually doing there. Now, you can make those introductions as the leader or facilitator of that meeting, or better you make the person introduce themselves. But beyond the I'm John Doe and my role in this meeting uh, or my I am the whatever attending physician for X, but rather state I. this is my name. This is my expertise. My role in this meeting is to sure X, Y, Z. If people don't know why they're in the room, that's a telltale sign that probably the setup didn't happen properly. You might say. That's a lot of stuff to go through to prepare for a meeting, but that it will become second nature. People will love it. And that is what is required to drive successful meetings and get rid of these time wasters that we are all sitting in every day. So... Just to recap the first point, you want to set expectations, meaning be clear what success looks like, what type of meeting you're calling, whether it's strategy, decision-making, etc., and who is in the room and why. And then help uh, clarify uh, the agenda. The next thing you want to talk about is uh, or be clear on is ownership and responsibilities. This part, this second step about ownership and responsibilities is huge. Huge when it comes to actually engaging everybody that is participating in the meeting and making sure that the meeting is not a bunch of fluff or everybody leaves and you are left with a to do list, but that people are really empowered to leave with ideas that they feel are their own and that they are carrying forward. I cannot tell you how many times. I've uh, participated in meetings, heard faculty members complain, um, seeing that uh, sort of in communities around where people felt overlooked or they had an idea, they brought that up at a meeting and they felt somebody else was stealing it from them. And then they got all upset about it. And that happens sometimes. That's not good leadership. It is a two-way street. But as the leader of the meeting, you have a unique opportunity to let participants own their own ideas. And when you do that, it will really empower them and it will keep them motivated to participate. And I would say if you do that step right, and I explain in a minute what I mean by letting them own their ideas. If you do this step right, you actually don't have to volunteer people to do action items. They will be excited to do them because they feel it's their idea. And it was. But often the opposite happens. So instead of letting people, uh, you know, own their ideas as leaders, we're quick to say, yeah, that's a great idea. I've thought about this too. And then making it all about themselves. Now, you're going to do this differently because you're here to be an academic leader and be a bright light at your institution. Let me tell you a quick story where I learned this really well from, which is from uh, my mentor, John Maxwell, which I learned from leadership on very early now um, up to eight years or so that I have sort of been looking up to him and learned some really helpful ideas and here's what I learned he always told this story that when he prepared for meetings here's the thing your chances are when you prepared for meetings you already have thought a lot about the possible outcomes, possible solutions for a problem. If you did your homework and really prepared for a meeting, chances are you have thought about a lot of ideas that people will bring up in the meeting. Maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. And he always told me this story that when he sits in meetings, he is taking notes, he has written pages, he prepared for the meeting. And somebody would bring something up in a meeting And he would just listen, tune in, and then edify that person that that was a great idea and not say, oh, yeah, I had that great idea too because I'm such a smart person and an expert. No. Chances are somebody will bring something up that you're like, great, somebody else had that idea too. I had that idea too. Versus saying, oh, I had that idea too. I'm so smart, which we all tend to do. I've done that more often than I like to admit but actually just zip it, just listen, and then edify that person for bringing this idea up and say, this is a wonderful idea. How did you come up with this? What are you thinking? Share some solutions and really engage that person to empower them. Now they feel like this is still my idea. If you go in and say, great idea, I had that too, they just feel like like another person, Versus they feel I have ownership and I own that idea and I have some responsibility in that. Hey, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who had the great idea. What matters is that progress is being made, right? So we sometimes have to come out of our own ego and just let it go. And edify somebody else and let them participate and own this idea. Now, that's powerful because once they are feel empowered, it will keep them motivated to participate. And when it comes time to the next step, we're going to talk about that uh, probably in part four of this podcast series how to actually make sure that stuff gets done. Well, guess what? When it comes down to the action items at the end of the meeting, they will already feel invested. They don't want somebody else doing the task that they have just proposed. So see how that actually helps getting things done? So powerful, so powerful. And it really keeps everybody engaged and feeling they're part of a bigger picture. So that's amazing. And the last thing I would want to say about that, so once a person brings up these ideas, assign responsibility for these ideas and tasks that they generated uh, to them. Now, they, they might already volunteer. Again, naturally, this should come as a voluntary process. But again, you want to sort of edify it and speak it out loud hey, Jonathan, you have this awesome idea at the meeting. Um, I would love for it if you would drive this forward. And do you want to just take on the things you proposed? Do you need help with that, etc.? cetera? People will love it. They really feel heard and they feel like they're empowered and they're part of a team, versus the leader grabs everything back, which is sort of a point of caution. A lot of times as leaders, I, I have a tendency to do that too. We like to take the to-do list back <laughs> and feel like we don't want to dump on anybody else and we want to make sure that things get done and then we just grab everything back to us and that means that the other people don't stay engaged in the process. So to recap, define the win, which means uh, how does success look like at the end of the meeting? What type of meeting do you need? And clarify who is in the room and why. And then the second step is allow ownership and responsibility and really let participants own their ideas in the associated to-do list and action items afterwards. This will go a long way. people will love it, they will be engaged, they will be taking action. And all of this is then to make sure that we're not having these random circular discussions that lead us nowhere. Now, I know what you're thinking, you're probably, but how do I keep people on track? And that's what we're going to talk next time. In part three of this podcast, we're going to talk about how to make sure that meeting actually Stays on point and doesn't get off the rails and get sidetracked or hijacked. So stay tuned for the next episode. Before you go, if this is helping you and if you feel like, oh my goodness, uh, this is great, but I'm driving, I don't have time to take notes. I created an actual little reference guide, like a little guide for you to have notes on all these points, so you can take them back to your teams, use them at your um, hospital, at your academic center. This guide you can get at uh, my website at ingahoffman1f2n.com forward slash meetings. Again, that's ingahoffman.com forward slash meetings meetings. That is a simple guide to run your best meetings ever. Hold everybody accountable to do the same. So download that for free. I will send it right to your email and you can enjoy that and share it with your team members. Have a great day and I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Academic Revolution podcast today. If you've gotten value from today's episode, I would love for you to share it with your friends and colleagues and help create a movement that changes the future of academic medicine forever. Also, don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn, and visit IngaHoffman.com for more information on how to work with me. Links are in the show notes. Until then, be well, and see you on the next episode of the Academic Revolution Podcast.